reading today from Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, through to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the day the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, then morning, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all of the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth so God created man in his own image he created him in the image of God he created the male and female God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth God also said, look, I have given you a seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all of the wildlife of the earth, for every bird in the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food 
and it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Thank you, Katrina. Well, we are well now into the book of Genesis. This is a week two, um, and I am really eager and keen to, to preach this chapter, although I, I have to say, we could have probably done this in six weeks. Like, there's so much here. Um, and so I'm going to try and condense this into about 30 minutes. We'll see how we go. Um, so you can pray for me as I, as I do this. Um, I won't try to talk too quickly. Um, today, um, we are going to land at the end of chapter 2, at the end of the, the seventh day. And so I, 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 re- I recognize that many, of, many people that even if you don't have any connection to church or you read the Bible very often, you may have heard this chapter read before. It's very familiar words and it's, and it's designed to be familiar it's written almost like a song, like with a, you know, repeating verses, repeating words, repeating patterns and refrains. It's like a kind of like a catchy song that gets stuck in your head. And, and so not only is this one of the most well-known chapters in all the Bible, in some circles, depending on who you ask, it's also one of the most controversial, both inside and outside the church. Some of you might hear these words and think, oh, that's nice, that's a nice poem, but surely nobody believes that this actually happened anymore. No one actually reads this and thinks this is historical or scientific. Um, Probably more of you have read Genesis 1, and you've come away not just like opposed to what it's saying, but you're just unsure. Well, what should I believe about these words? What do they have to do with me? Are they literal can we just skip over this and get to Jesus and not worry about it? Um, well, of course, I'm going to tell you that I think Genesis 1 is a beautiful passage of Scripture. There's a reason it's the very first chapter uh, in the Bible. I'm going to tell you that it's useful for you, um, that we can talk about it with people who are skeptical. And the reason I say that isn't because there aren't tough questions that we have to navigate. There certainly are. But rather... Because the purpose, the why, this chapter is written stands. No matter what you think about the details, the the, the purpose of this chapter is to teach us and to teach you why we exist. Not just how we came to exist. It's not about the mechanics of creation as much as it is about the purpose of creation. This, we have this picture of God here who creates, and it's essential for us to understand both his amazing power and his amazing love are on display in this chapter. So before you get caught up in the debate and the questions about how we reconcile Genesis 1 with Genesis 2, how we reconcile Genesis 1 and 2 with modern science, I want you to see what the Spirit of God is doing and saying through Moses He's telling us who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. So I'm going to just pray briefly and ask that God's Spirit 
His Spirit, who was there at the beginning, would now help us to understand and apply these words to our hearts. So just join me as I pray. Lord, we need you. We need your Spirit to take these words, which you recorded through Moses 3,000 plus years ago, and make them as alive and relevant and true and beautiful today for us as they were then and as they will be in eternity. So help us, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, I said, if you were here, or you heard the sermon on the podcast, and I, and I said this as awkwardly as a 40-year-old dad with kids could possibly say, that the first three verses of Genesis 1 resemble a little bit of a, a dance track um, where you've got this between the break between verses 2 and 3. Um, it's like this pause where the sound just stops for that brief second. And then verse 3 is where the, the beat drops and the, all of the, the action starts happening. Then God said, this is verse 3, let there be light and there is light. That's what happens. Um, you might remember if you ever took a physics class, which I did a long time ago, uh, that light doesn't just stand still. It moves. It's in motion. First moment of creation. God said, set the world in motion with one word. It's, we, it says, let there be light in English, but really the word, he just says one light. He just says that word, and it, it, it appears. Um, so I looked this up. The very first person that we know of who tried to measure the speed of light was a guy called Empedocles, and he died in 430 BC. It would take another 2,000 years before anyone attempted to actually put a number to the speed of light, and that happened in 1675. Um, and that number was not was was fairly. Accurate, but the number that we use today as the speed of light wasn't actually finalized until 1983. Some of us in this room were alive in 1983. Um, God spoke a word, and countless light particles exploded into motion at exactly 299,792.458 meters per second. God's words make worlds. You may have heard that expression before, words make worlds. This is what Genesis 1 is saying. God's words make worlds. I don't know if anyone in your, your job or in your circle of relationships, um, you know them, that when they speak, people stop and, and listen. Their words carry weight. Um, some of your families might operate in a very democratic way, um, where you kind of rotate who picks the, the movie or who picks what's for, for dinner. Other families, not so much. There's just that one person who, whatever they say when they speak, that's what's happening. I don't know if it's mom or dad or grandma, whoever, whoever it is. Everybody can have their opinions, but as soon as that person speaks, it is final. Um, the chances are, if you've never had that kind of power, you might not like being on the receiving end, not ever, you know, getting a word in. You may have heard the saying, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And with sinful people, that is often the case. But with God, 
His absolute power, his awesome power, is the very thing that brings life into existence, light out of darkness, beauty out of the void, fullness out of emptiness. And that's what Moses is describing here, this absolute power of God's word. He doesn't shout. He's not sweating. He's not lifting heavy things. He just speaks the way a a mom might speak to her little baby, a little baby who has no power at all. God just says the word light, and it happens. God's softly spoken words make worlds of beauty and wonder. This display of raw power, we see it seven times in this chapter, over and over again. And at the end of each of the days, at the, at the, the, the dusk of evening, he looks and says, it is good. The sixth day, he looks and it's very good. This is maximum power being unleashed with seemingly minimum effort. Just a word. Not only does God create the world with a word, he sustains the world with a word. He keeps it going. I think I quoted this last week as well. Hebrews 1, verse 3, this is about Jesus, God the Son. He is described as the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things. How? Not with his arms, not with his sword, but with his powerful word. His word is still unleashing power today. Not so much launching light particles and mountains and seas into motion, but more so when his word does his creative work in your heart, in your mind. When you hear the word spoken, when you hear God's word preached, when you when he brings it to mind, something you've heard before, something you've memorized or meditated on. God is creating, he's creating something new in you in that moment. That's the power of his word. The same spirit of God who hovered over the water in Genesis 1 verse 2. Now we know for people who are in Christ, same spirit is taking God's word and what does he do with it? He writes it on your heart so that you remember it, so that it changes you so that it gives you life and hope and meaning, desire, an ability to endure hard things, an ability to act with courage. All of this leads to new behavior, God's word written on your heart by his spirit. So devote yourself to hearing and receiving and thinking about God's words. God's words make worlds. And the rest of the creation narrative in Genesis 1 shows us that God's world displays his wisdom. Everything he creates is good. Everything is done in good order. Everything is both, at the same time, beautifully simple and amazingly complex. Everything is suitable for the flourishing of life, particularly human life. We're not going to do a deep dive into the science questions uh, today. Um, So the speed of light thing is about as geeky as we're going. Um, Next week, we'll talk about the E word, um, just not not today. Um, What I want to show you is how this text is structured. 
One of the questions that skeptics have sometimes raised is, well, hang on, this order of things doesn't make sense in Genesis 1. For example, how can you have morning and evening on day one when the sun doesn't exist till day four? How can you have plants and green stuff um, that require sunlight when the sun doesn't exist? So plants are on day three, sun doesn't exist till day four. How does that work? And here's the explanation. You have to understand what Moses is doing here um, is not primarily describing, again, the mechanics of how, step one, step two, step three, of how God created the universe. He's simply telling us, he's stating that God did create the universe, he created everything, and that it was good. And that everything exists now has a place. Everything has a place. I don't know if you grew up hearing, maybe from, from your mom or your grandma, or, or you said it, um, the old Victorian saying about housekeeping, place for everything, everything in its place. That's what's going on here in Genesis 1. Again, it's not about mechanics. It's to get you to see purpose and order in creation. Um, let me explain. On day one of creation, we see that God, what does he do? He separates day from night. He creates a boundary between them. And then three days later, on day four, God fills the day with a light called the sun, and he fills the night with a lesser light called the moon and stars. Those lights he creates on day four <coughs> carry out the purpose of separating day from night, which he did on day one. Days one and four Go together. So track with me here. On day two of creation, he separates the water above from the water below with the sky in the middle. And then on day five, he fills those spaces. The sky is filled with birds. The water below is filled with fish and sea life. Days two and five go together. On day three, he separates the water from the land. And then he creates the plants. On day six, he, he creates <coughs> land creatures that fill the land. So on days one, two, and three, God creates the space and the place. He separates the places. And then on days four, five, and six, he fills those places with creatures so that these places and spaces fulfill their purpose. <coughs> God's creative work on days one, two, and three, are preparing the place for the bodies and creatures on days four, five, and six to flourish and radiate God's glory. What I want you to see from all this is not just a neat way of ordering the creation story. I want you to see the same thing that Moses and the children of Israel would have seen. They would have seen that this way of the way that God has designed the earth is to reflect his wisdom is to reflect his wisdom. <coughs> Everything has a place to thrive. Everything that thrives has a purpose of... Thank you. ...of displaying his glory. Imagine being one of the Israelites. You're wandering in the wilderness for years on end. And then imagine hearing that the God who has brought them through the Red Sea into the wilderness, out of slavery, is the God who is in the business <clears throat> of designing perfect homes. 
He's designing perfect homes for people, perfect spaces for his creatures. That's just who he is. That's the purpose of Genesis 1. Now stop imagining being Israelite and imagine being yourself again, if you can do that. I want you to hear these words of Jesus. Hear these words of Jesus. He gave them to his followers, to us, just before he died. This is in John 14. Verse 3 says, if I go away and do what? And prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So you and I, when you, were, when, you, when you were created, when I was created, we were created with a longing to be in the place that he has made for you. And that's what God does. He creates places and he fills them. Everything has a place. Every person in Christ has a place with him. That's why creation is saying again and again and again, every time the sun rises over the horizon, every time the waves crash into the shore, but no farther, every time the seasons change, he is creating a place for his people, for you, for us. There's a lot more we could say about everything God made everything that declares his glory. But I, I want to get to the climax of the chapter. So let me read again, day six. The pinnacle of God's creation. Verse 26, then God said, let us, let us, and I'm not even, I don't even have time to comment on what the us means there. You'll have to just look it up in your study Bible. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. <clears throat> he created the male and female. And after he's created all the places and spaces with a word, after he's filled all those places with, and filled them with creatures, he saves his best work for last. <clears throat> Everything declares his glory and displays his wisdom. But only human beings reflect his likeness. Let me illustrate. Um, when you listen to a sermon that I've prepared, um, you can probably figure out some things about me, about my personality, about the, the way I prepare, um, my sense of humor or lack of it, um, what I value, what I don't, you can tell me later. But if you were to spend time with my children, um, you'd learn even more about me. Not just because they would say all these wonderful things about me, which of course they would, um, but because they resemble me. Without even speaking, you can f figure out, work out things about who I am based on looking at them. There's a way that my kids bear my image in a way that's different than something like a sermon that I've created. You're made in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1 says. That's who you are. It's your most basic identity. Your spouse, your kids, the person sitting next to you, your, your neighbor, people who drive you crazy, the worst person you can think of, all of those people made in the image of God. The poor, the powerless, the dying, the unborn, every single one, a reflection of the one true God. Humans alone image God, reflect God in our capacity to think, and feel, and create, and form relationships. You aren't a God, but you are like God. You are a reflection of God. 
just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Most people today don't know or believe that this is who they are. A lot of people today believe that they are who, what, whatever they feel. That's, that's who they are. Whatever they do, whatever they achieve, that's who they are. <clears throat> Whoever their tribe is, that's what gives them their identity. Whatever they desire, whatever their appetites are, that's who they are. It's a philosophy of our age. But right here, in very, the very first chapter of the Bible, how much better is this? You aren't who you, what you do, <coughs> which means it's okay to fail. You're still in the image of God. You're not defined by what you feel. You have freedom to do hard and uncomfortable things, courageous things, because you have been made in the image of God. You aren't simply your DNA. You aren't simply whatever your tribe tells you that you are. You are made in the one, in the image of the one who programmed your DNA. To be made in the image of God means that we not only resemble him, we represent him. When we look at each other, we see a reflection of God. So what you do, what you say, how you worship, it all, it all matters. Verse 26, God charges humans to rule the whole earth and his creatures. Verse 28, he blesses the first humans, telling them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the animals, or have dominion in some translations. And he's charged us to carry on the creative work that he began, to extend order and beauty to the ends of the earth by filling the earth with more image bearers. The words subdue and rule or have dominion sometimes have created controversy. There are some who think that this gives people license to do whatever they like with the earth, but that's not what he's saying. To have dominion means that we, we have the privilege of being co-rulers with God. To steward and care for his creation. It means that through our work, whether our work is all about caring for things or inventing things or discovering things, building things, all of it is good. All of it carries on what God began in creation. And it's before sin, before the fall. Work is good. Work is the way we represent God in the world he made. <clears throat> what does this mean for us now? What about people who can't work or can't have children? How do they represent God? Thankfully, Jesus speaks to this. I want you to turn with me now to Matthew 28. Very familiar words. What does this mean for us now? Matthew 28. I want you to notice how Jesus redefines, reinterprets Genesis 1 for the new people of God. Jesus came near to them, it says in Matthew 28. He's talking about his, to his disciples, and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Notice, Jesus has the authority of God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's very intentional in using that phrase. Instead of giving them the command, though, to have children, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Jesus says this in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make... Doesn't say make babies. He says make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Instead of the command to rule over the earth... We extend the rule of Jesus. Look at verse 20. By teaching our spiritual children <coughs> to observe everything I have commanded you. 
The command of Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply is fulfilled when we fill the earth, fill our homes, fill our communities with more image bearers of God by making disciples of Jesus. That's how we fulfill Genesis 1 and Matthew 28. There's a verse in Habakkuk, one of those verses, one of those books that you probably um, haven't read recently, or maybe, I don't know, if you do, do your devotions in the book of Habakkuk or not. Um, but there's a, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. There's this picture of the glory of God, the glory of God filling the earth as the waters fill the sea. That is the end game of God's creation. Um, the glory of God filling the earth as the waters fill the sea. And that's what we get to be a part of. That's the creative vision that we have. And it's not making disciples isn't about filling up spaces with people who share our DNA or our last name. It's people who share a desire for the glory of God. God's done the work of filling up creation. Now, our work is to fill every space with people who know and treasure him. In verse 31, at the end of day six, God doesn't just say what he's made was good. It was very good. And that's how we know <clears throat> that humans, male and female, are the pinnacle of creation. And I need a whole other sermon to talk about this and the goodness of the male and female binary here. Notice how males and females are both equally good and equally necessary to reflect God and represent God in the world as his co-rulers on earth. Genesis doesn't conflate the difference of males and females. He creates both. So both are necessary, and he doesn't elevate one over the other. Both have equal dignity, equal authority to rule as God's representatives on earth. So again, what's the end game of creation? Where are we going? We're going to this place where God's glory fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. God's word created the world, and the word ref world reflects his wisdom. He's most clearly reflected in the men and women he created to represent him on earth. And now in the beginning of chapter 2 of Genesis, we come to day 7, the day of completion, a day of rest. God doesn't rest because he's so just physically worn out, but because the work is finished. That's why he rests. Day seven is the only day that doesn't finish with the evening and morning refrain because we're still living in this day. It's not finished. Um, God has delegated the ongoing filling of creation over to you, over to his people. And one day when we get to the end of our journey, we'll enter the same rest, the Sabbath rest of God when all of our work is done. We're born resembling him. We live representing him. And when we die, we will rest with him. Let me say that again. We're born resembling him. We live representing him. And when we die, we will rest with him. That is the story of every person made in the image of God. The rest of the story of Genesis in the Bible will teach us that not every image bearer will rest with him in eternity. Some will look for rest elsewhere. And the essence, well, that is the essence of what the Bible calls sin. 
And once sin enters into the world, and we're going to see this in a couple of weeks in Genesis chapter 3, it's impossible for humans to resemble God and represent him faithfully anymore. With one exception. One man, Jesus. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the image, there's that word again, of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. And that's not only a call to worship Jesus, although it certainly is that. You've got to see this. Not only is the image of God your origin story, it's who you were born, it's also your future hope. Why? Because right now you are being remade into the perfect image of Lord Christ. If you believe in him, if you are a Christian, you are every day as you live, as you work, on hard days, on easy days, you are being shaped. You are being formed. You are being recreated. According to Paul in Colossians 3 verse 10, in, you are being renewed in knowledge according to, listen, the image of your creator. This is your story. The one who makes words, worlds with a word is renewing and restoring everything about you with his word so that together with all the saints who believe, you are the exact image of his son, Jesus. We're still um, in the month of May here, City Life South, and we're still praying through May. Um, my challenge for you this week is when you pray, ask him to create more of Jesus, to create, I use that word very intentionally, create more of Jesus in you. Every time you read his word, every time you hear his word, every time you think of his word, and then be willing to let go of whatever bits of you that he needs to chip away. Let the artist do his work in you and in us, because his best work is still to come. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your help. Thank you for helping me get, get through your word. Lord, thank you that it's not me, it's not my voice or my words that has the power to, to change, but it is the power of your Holy Spirit. Your words are powerful. Your words change us, Lord. Your words make us more like Jesus. We, we believe that. We, we want to believe that. So help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to hearing and believing your word. Oh, God, thank you for this family of believers that you have joined together. You've joined us to Christ. You've joined us by your Holy Spirit, the same spirit who was there at the dawn of creation. Lord, as we come to the table today, help us to worship you as the one who created us, and is the one who is recreating us in the very image of Christ who was slain for us. It's by your blood that you have brought us and bought us into the new covenant family. And part of that new covenant is that your spirit is writing your words, your creative words on our hearts. Oh God, make us 
even more today in the very image of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.